Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We're Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We're compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being a community that serves the greater community. Amen? And that is really what we get to do this next week, uh, is serve the community. Uh, our own kids, we get to compel our own kids to Christ and maybe others from the community and uh, and be a good example. So ushers are coming down the aisles right now with uh, Bibles and outlines and uh, pens. If you want to follow along and take notes, uh, you can. Everything's going to be up on the screen, as always. Uh, but we also have prayer request cards. If you have something that you'd like us to pray for, uh, raise your hand, get one of those cards, fill it out, drop it in the offering plate, and then uh, at the end today. And then our staff and our prayer team would love to pray for whatever it is that you'd like prayer for. So... Uh, and and is always as is always the case, if you'd rather not wait for the prayer request card to go through, if you just like after service, if you want to just come up to the stage, we have some people that would be willing to pray with you face to face, if that's more your preference. Uh, so after service, feel free to come on up, and, and we'd love to pray for you that way too as well. So uh, Daniel chapter eight, we uh, we were I was gone last week. I want to thank Giuseppe uh, Gatto for stepping in and for you. Uh, letting him be up here and, and share the Word of God with you and whatnot. And it's good to have you guys see what goes uh, on in our student ministry a little bit by getting a window into who he is and then uh, letting him have a little window into what it's like to be in here rather than it out there. And so kind of kind of fun to have him fill in while I was gone on vacation. And, and thanks for that. It was good to get away. And uh, at some point, maybe I'll uh, share some stories from the vacation. We'll see. Um, I got to get a lot of permissions for those first. But um, uh, Daniel chapter eight, we're, we're second chapter, well, two thirds of the way through the book now. A uh, couple, few more, and we're all, all done. But we're second chapter of Daniel uh, being kind of the sole character. Uh, first six chapters of the book, we have Daniel, we have his three buddies, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and they're kind of interacting with kings generally. And there's usually some kind of conflict, and it's usually uh, of of grave danger, and they have to come through, and, and they come through. God comes through every time, and the whole thing. Uh, usually, the kings are generating some scenario, and the and the boys are trying to translate. Last chapter, two weeks ago, chapter seven, uh, Daniel has the dream himself, and, and in a twist of plot, and he's no longer interpreting the dreams; they have to be interpreted for him. So we've taken uh, Daniel from out of kind of his comfort or his normal. Uh, action of, of someone else generating a dream and him just telling him what it's like to now he's the one seeing a vision, but he's the one who's also confused. And God has to come in and send a messenger or himself explain it to him. Uh, and that's a little different for Daniel, but I think it's more normal for us. You see, first six chapters or so, we're not used to other people having visions and we tell them exactly what it means to the detail. Yeah, we just don't have that experience this day and age. Very few of you have the gift of interpretation anyway. No. Uh, what we're more like is we see things, we experience things, and we wonder what they mean. And we sure would like to know God's will, God's description, um, God's design for them. Uh, and so I think that last chapter and today, chapter 8, what Daniel goes through is more close to home for us. Uh, and it's kind of poignant uh, this morning concerning what uh, our future holds with us uh, and how we view what's going to happen, what might happen, oh no, kind of thing, or gee, I hope uh, for the future. And so uh, I, I think although it's a book uh, for you know thousands of years ago, 
I think it's poignant for today. And that's what I think we're going to see. And before we do that, let's pray and then ask the Lord to bless our time. God, bless our time. We thank you for the, the break we get in our week to come uh, and spend time with you. Rethink, reshape, redirect. Uh, put us back on track, if you will, Lord. And just like we have a break in our week, we also have seasons, Lord, like summer where we, we get breaks, but we want to set aside time in our seasons to come and be with you as well. And so uh, we thank you for those that are here this morning, Lord, and pray that you would use your word uh, to help us see who are you, what are you like, and how does that affect us? Who can we be in you? And so, Lord, we pray that that would be what happens in this time. Pray that you would bless it to your own glory through the guidance of your Holy Spirit and in honor of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to start the chapter with King Belshazzar, which is, should be confusing if you've been around or been following podcasts, uh, which you can on the website. Uh, we were introduced to King Belshazzar in chapter 5, and in chapter 5 we said goodbye to Belshazzar because he died at the end of the chapter. Uh, all of a sudden he shows up in chapter 7, last chapter, and he's back here in chapter 8. And for most of us, we scratch our head and say, see, the Bible is inaccurate. No, you're just not Jewish. Uh, Jewish storytelling is very different, and I, I try to get this across whenever we do Old Testament books. Uh, they, they're not chronological. We are. Yeah, right? we, we, we function on, hey, it started at 9, you better start at 9. It's 9.01, what's going on, right? Um, the Jewish culture, they, they tend to do things in order of importance or in order of the point that they're trying to make, what is appropriate to what they're teaching kind of thing. Uh, and what you needed to know about Belshazzar last, in chapter 5 a while ago is that he was going to be a blip on the screen. He was going to show up. He was going to be a goofball. He was going to step way out of line, and God was going to correct him quickly. In fact, that very night, he, uh, God fulfills the promise uh, to um, wipe him from the planet. Uh, and so you, we know that he's not that important of a character. But we get after chapter 6 and the stories of the kings, we start to get into Daniel's story. And Daniel's almost like he goes back, now let me tell you what was going on back during my dealing with Belshazzar. And we get to hear story number one, number one in chapter 7 a couple weeks ago. Uh, we took a break last week with Giuseppe, and then this week we get to hear story number two. In fact, he's going to allude to it uh, in the first couple verses of this in chapter 8. And uh, Daniel's going to be pretty much the only character in this thing. Uh, and so the, we're going to have to figure out, well, what does that mean for us? And, and I think we're going to get there. First service... I'm not sure they got there, okay? But you're smarter than them, okay? Here we go. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. He's saying, I had a first dream. That was the other previous chapter. And then this is the second one. Verse two, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the capital, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, as, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes, and I saw, and behold, a ram, standing on the bank of the canal. Now, this is, this is getting a little bit confusing because there's animals and there's horns. Okay, so just try to follow along. There's going to be two animals, but there's going to be a whole bunch of horns. Okay? Uh, it had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward, northward, southward, no beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. So this ram is going all directions, north, south, and to the uh, uh, west. 
He did as he pleased and became great. And I was considering, as I was considering, behold, a male goat from the west, across the face of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him with powerful wrath. Uh, What's going to happen here? You got a ram over here. You got a, a... a uh, goat coming from the west. He's coming at him with what? Powerful wrath. What, what are rams and goats kind of known for? Buttonheads. Okay, good. You didn't even have to go to seminary for that. Good job. Uh, I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, struck the ram, and broke his two horns. The ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. The goat won. Goat was first or second? Goat came up second and the goat won. Right? Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Remember he had horns in his head? And instead of, uh, of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south toward the east and toward the glorious land. The glorious land. Um, Any guesses on where the glorious land is considering the author is Jewish and the recipients are Jewish? Israel, the promised land. Okay, good guess. Uh, It grew great even to the host of heaven and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great. Even as great as the prince of the host, ooh, like so strong that it's starting to compete with who? The, who do you think the prince of the host is? Or Christ, maybe? Maybe God, maybe Christ? That's a pretty high standing. At least competing with him. The regular burnt offering was taken away from him. Whoops. Now they're not giving offerings to God anymore. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown in Jewish time. Where's the sanctuary? Where's the sanctuary? The temple, temple, right? So the temple's overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. There's some kind of, something wrong is happening against God, against Israel, against the temple. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. It opposes God. It becomes great almost to the level of Christ or God, maybe. Uh, But it opposes the temple. It opposes Israel. And it prospers. It's doing pretty well. What do you think is going to happen? And I heard a holy one speak. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes this desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be restored to its rightful state. Hmm. Anybody catch what just happened there? Because I was getting scared for a little bit. I don't know about you, but I was, I was seeing all those details about the temple and the offering not being given, the transgression and the well, boy, it's the Holy Land, and they were prospering. What was I thinking? What was I afraid of? Come on. 
What was I afraid of? It's going to happen to Israel. It's going to be overthrown. It's going to be gone. Right? What happened to God and his people and his prophets and the whole thing? What, what they, they lose? And then in like very subtle Bible language, as happens sometimes, then the sanctuary was restored to its rightful state. What just happened there in politically correct language? Let me, let me try it this way. In the end, who wins? All right, we're in church. We asked the question. You weren't sure. Just go with God, right? In the end, no matter how long it lasts, if it's 2,300 days, it doesn't matter if they oppose God, even if they get to the status where you think they're competing with God, or they do something inappropriate with the temple, or they're not offering sacrifices, no matter what, in the end, we're going to be in our rightful state, God says. Verse 15, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision... I sought to what? Yeah, I'm confused. There's horns, there's goats, there's a ram, and then how many different horns? And one gets big and one gets small, some are prominent, and then there's four, and oh my gosh. Anybody confused? No, just me? Wow, you guys are way better than first service. There stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Olai, and it called Gabriel. Uh, comma, who's Gabriel? He's the angel. Do you know how fast you got that? That was so amazing. Seriously, please come to first service once in a while, just to help out. They're, they were they were slow, okay? Uh, all joking aside, Gabriel is a, a very familiar character throughout scripture he shows up at a bunch of different places is named by name and in other places he's referred to as an angel and when he shows up he's generally delivering a message message. hence he's called the messenger angel a lot of times here's gabriel at least we think it's gabriel the angel it doesn't say angel specifically but i mean come on right make this man what understand the vision when stuff happens when you experience things what do you you generally see clarity understanding i want it to make make sense right gabriel make sense of this for him is what it says maybe in a lot modern day language 17 so he came near where i stood and when he came i was frightened and fell on my face when you're really afraid and you, and, and you fall on your face, what happened? Probably. You, maybe you fainted, right? This is how bad. As soon as Gabriel just gets close to him, he faints, right? Which we're going to get back to in a little bit. I was frightened, fell on my face, but he said to me, understand, there's that word again, three times now we've heard it, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Ooh, end times. Prophecy. Ooh, it's getting exciting. Not really. Okay, don't get too excited. When he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, right? He fell to his face, face to the ground, then he revived, and then now he's down on the ground again. What's, the guy can't even stay on his feet. What do you think that's about? Is that about, like, he, he can't even handle the message, or he can't even handle the messenger? Or maybe it's a combination of the two? But it, it's the presence of God, and, and it's interesting that it's mentioned several different times, several different ways, and this isn't the only place either. It's almost as if our very existence, our ability to keep our consciousness, 
is in question without God. Just to be around him might be too much for us to handle and for us to be able to stay conscious while he's trying to give us a message for us. He has to help us with even our own consciousness. Isn't that a little bit interesting? Kind of should give us a better understanding of how much control he has and how much we need him, right? Frightened, fell on my face, but he said to me, understand, O son of man, that this is a vision for the end times. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep on my face again to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. This is a specific event, a specific violation. This is not the end of the end of the big end at the very end. This is just at the end of this certain event. I'm trying to make clear to you, this is Daniel here at least is pretty clear. It's not end time prophecy. It's the prophecy of a an end time for this specific crowd, this specific time in history, this specific group of, of Hebrews. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Oh, what just happened? We just got specific detail as to what the horns are. It's been interesting in the past, uh, most of the visions, all of the visions we've had so far, whether it be from kings or whether it be Daniel's own vision in the last chapter, we get some clarity as to them, but we don't get specifics. In fact, last chapter, there were 10 horns to say, hey, who are those 10 kings? It says they're kings, but it doesn't say which kings they are. And I asked you two weeks ago, which kings are these? And we said, we don't know, because we don't. Here, this is kind of fun. Now we know. There's going to be a Mede king and a Persian king. Which kind of implies, I think it implies... The longer Daniel is with God and follows God and is faithful to God and does what he's asked and stays true and obedient and whatever, is he getting more? Is he getting progression of his relationship? I think he is. And I forgot to point that out first service. I missed that. There's a second service extra. This idea that the longer that you're with God, maybe you get more. Kind of implied in the early chapters, by the way. You have to go back and see it. But these are the kings of, the media, of, of media and Persia. Verse 21, and the goat is the king of Greece. Oh, I remember the king of Greece came in after. Yeah, and he beat the Medes and the Persians, right? He won. Goat beat the ram. Great goat, uh, the great horn between his eyes is the first king. So the first king of Greece. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall rise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, and when the transgressions, transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. He's going to come after God's chosen people. Well, clearly that's Hitler. That is sarcasm, folks. It's, it's actually dripping out of my mouth right now, okay? We're going to prove to you this is probably not true. And, but, but here's the thing. End times prophecy, people love to try and apply the prophecy to specific people, specific names, right? Last I checked, 
Hitler wasn't Greek. I'm just saying. Right? But people come up with stuff and, oh no, this has got to be Hitler because he had four horns and four uh, kings came up after him. That's the four countries that allied with him and then they go in all this weird stuff. Smile, nod, and then move on from that person. Okay? No. No. It's just not that way. Okay? Uh, By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind, he shall become great. Oh, it's not Hitler, it's Trump. Is this about Trump? No, throw it out. Okay. But man, we love to apply things to things that aren't appropriate and have no, but we get afraid. And so then we say, ah, and we freak out and we shouldn't. All right. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. Whoops. And when you rise up against the prince of princes, what happens to you? And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. You've had a vision, and it's true, comma, but seal up the vision. He's saying, put it away. For it refers to many days from now. It's not for now, it's for later. Put it away kind of the instruction that was given to Daniel. I think it'd be appropriate for us too, maybe. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. Isn't that kind of interesting? Back to work. But I was appalled by the vision and I did not what? And I did not understand it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. All right, who wants to preach? Anybody? Come on up. Uh, I think there's four things that come out of this. It's, it's, we have to ask the question, like, why would, why would God give us a vision, but then give us just enough detail to make us curious, but not enough detail for us to, at the very end of the chapter, last phrase that he says is what? They did not understand. Why give us it at all then? Because I think God's trying to teach Daniel some overarching principles, and I think Daniel writes it down to make sure that we get these overarching principles about who God is and who we are. And I think the first one this is this. Future fear is not your focus. God gives him a vision about the future, and Daniel says he was frightened, but it gets through the whole big, long story, right? I mean, almost all the cha- verses in the chapter are about this big, long story and interpretation. And when you get to all the way to the end of it, what does he say? Seal it up. Seal up the vision. No need to think about it. Not that important. It's for days, many days in the future, right? But we freak out about the future. We, we freak out about what's going to happen next week next month or at the election oh no right we're afraid about what our bosses are going to do what our employees are going to do we get afraid about what our spouse is going to do some of us are afraid of what our kids are going to do let me ask you this is God afraid of the future does he know the future 
If he's not afraid of it and he knows he's in control of it as well. If, if those three things are true, why not tell us? Because we can't handle it. And he doesn't want us to handle it. He doesn't want us worried about the future. We get all caught up on what might be rather than what is. Thank you. Verse 17 Verse 17 says this, The vision is for the time of the end. That's not for now. Verse 26 says it this way, It refers to many days from now. It's kind of interesting. With all this information about the future, what, what happens with Daniel? I mean, Gabriel is told... Make him to understand. Three different times it talks about understanding. But when we get to the very end of the story, what does Daniel say? And yet I did not understand. God will never give you enough information about the future that you understand it. But he will give you enough information to fear it. And we have enough information to fear it. His question is going to be, are you going to focus on that or are you going to focus on me? you focus on what you're afraid might happen? Or are you going to focus on who's in control of what will happen? It's very interesting. He gives a vision about dream, uh, coming kings, right? There's, there's a bunch of kings coming. He has a king right then, Belshazzar. But he says, there are more kings coming. What's, what's that imply? What's going to happen to Belshazzar? He's going down. What's happening to the king after him? He's going to be in control. Will that happen in my lifetime? Maybe I should start worrying about serving that king rather than this king. Maybe I should get ready for the next president. Right? Interesting questions to ask. But in all of that, number two we figure out that understanding is not the focus. See, future fear is not our focus, but understanding is not the focus either. Right? You might put either after that. We tie them together. The Holy One says to Gabriel, help him to understand. Gabriel explains the whole thing, gives him enough information to know that it's Mede and Persian and Greek, but then he doesn't give him any... Did you tell him when? No. We don't really even t- say for how long, in a lot of ways. When we get to the very end, Daniel says, still don't understand it. It's very interesting. I, I think we, we come into contact with people, we come into uh, experiences, we come into projections, and we spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of our resource trying to figure out what does it mean. And now we're, now we're living in the future. Rather than living when? Now. Stay in the now. You know, uh, God doesn't give you enough to know about the future. So that you have to live in the now. How do you feel about that? He, he has the answers. He controls the answers. And yet he withholds the answers. So that you're forced to live in the now. I don't think that's fair. 
Anybody? Anybody offended, bothered? Does this make you uncomfortable, upset, frightened? Let me make it worse. God doesn't care. God doesn't care that you don't know or understand the future or have the details to it. And I can prove it. If he did care and he had the answers and controlled the answers, then he would acquiesce and eventually give it to you, right? Because like whining kids, we'd complain long enough and he'd finally give in and okay, you can have the snack even though you didn't finish your dinner. He's not concerned about you liking it. He's concerned about you learning. Not understanding, but knowing who you're following. And and then doing what you can with what you have in the now, rather than trying to make too many projections about the future. Verse 27 tells us that. Yet I did not understand. It's at the top of your outline right there. Thirdly, your focus is when? Your focus is now. Go about your business. Focus is meant to be now. If we're not to fear the future, or we're not to totally understand the future as well, what are we left with? We're left with what we have now and do the best we can with what we have. I, I think it's very interesting that, that Daniel, he, get, he gets all of this information, gets this great dream, gets visited by an angel, we think. What's his response? Do you notice his response? What, what, what does he do? We get about two sentences, maybe. I don't feel so good. I'm going to go back to work. All this great information. First hand, by the way. We, we only get it second hand. He's standing in the presence of an angel getting a message. And you would think he would ask some questions. or th- Angel says, nope, take the vision, seal it up. Oh, you don't feel so good? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going to go back to work. I was, I was reading uh, this thing. I, think, I can't remember if I was reading or hearing this report. Uh, I, so I can't reference the source. And so we're going to take this with a grain of salt. Okay. But it was being explained to me that your stomach has almost as many nerve endings and receivers and transmitters and all that kind of stuff as your brain. In fact, they can refer to the stomach sometimes as your second brain. It totally makes sense because when you get nervous, you get an upset brain, right? Oh, no, you get an upset stomach, right? They call it the second brain a lot of ways. You get exhausted, you have digestive problems. You stay up too late. You get nervous, someone hurts your feelings, whatever, you lose your job, all of a sudden, I'm not hungry, which I don't understand because food is like the solution to everything, I think. (laughs) He has this dream, he gets all these answers, and he doesn't feel good, and uh, I'm going to go rest. And when I arose, what? I'm going to do now, I'm going to go back to my business. Like, it's fascinating that he says that, Right? Although he doesn't quite say that. See, here's the confusing part for me. He has this dream and this message and it's interpreted for him. And and then it's clear. Belshazzar is going down. Medes are coming next. Then Persians and the Greeks after them. He wakes up and goes about the king's business. Which king? 
I would think if it's me, I'm hearing that story. I'm, I'm thinking, well, gosh, if God's in control of all of this, I'm going to go about God's business. When I wake up and I, I feel better from my stomach ache or whatever he was dealing with, I'm going to figure out what God wants. I'm going to go do King, King, capital K. I'm going to do his business. Not what it says. That's confusion number one for me. Confusion number two for me. All right? You're not going to do God's business. Maybe I'll do one of the future king's business. I, in fact, I'm going to work on Mead King's business because he's next. I'm not sure how long Belshazzar is going to be here. I'm going to set myself up for next king. Right? Does that make sense to any of you? And yet that's not what he says. Confusion number two for me. All right, if he's not going for what God's business is and he's not going what for future king's business is, then I'm going after my business. Because I know this king's on his way out. You know what? I'm going to go handle my business. And this is just secular, human, male, Scott speaking. Faulty. But I've struck out three times now. Because what does he say? I woke up and I went about the king's, current king, Belshazzar's business. Uh, Belshazzar a believer? No. Not by any stretch. Not by the closest stretch. Not Hebrew. Not nothing. Wrong guy. And yet he gets up and says, I'm going to go about current king's business. We have two candidates. Is this where the church starts talking politics? Or is this where we tell you who to vote for? Please tell me you know the answer to that question. Is this where we start telling you who to vote for? No. Bingo. Okay, you're in the right place. But let me ask you this question. We talked about future fear and not understanding and God being in control and knows the future. And we have two candidates. Who put them there? Bingo. We got Daniel with a secular leader. And when he wakes up from what is more frightening than probably anything you've dealt with, he wakes up and says, I'm going to go do secular leaders business for now because this is where God has placed me right now and I will make the most of it. Wow. Boy, I think that's poignant for today. See, the question is, when you go about your business and you focus on the now, are you going to be about God's business? Or are you going to be worried about what future king looks like? You, oh, hey, I'm, I'm going to do my spouse's business. You ever thought of the idea that maybe God put the secular leadership in your life for a reason? On purpose? We're at church, and I'm telling you, you might need to follow secular leadership. Mostly because I'm not sure I believe in secular leadership anymore. Follow me. Follow me. Ready? Wait for it. If God put them in power, how can it be secular? He's in charge. You know what I'm really sick of? This is the one I'm really sick of. Okay, just don't say this to me anymore. Okay? I know you've heard this one. I just want you to, I want you to start having an upset stomach around this one too. 
We have two candidates, and I don't like either one of them. Heard that one? I'm sick of it. Good for you. Because you get to choose who the candidates are. It's a good thing you only have one vote. If, if God put them in a position to be a leader, roll with it. To God be the glory. Amen? What are we afraid of? Well, you know, if, if they, I'm not going to tell you who they are, if they get into power, I'm moving to Canada. Please, do us a favor. Go! Let somebody else move into your house. Are we quitters, folks? We don't quit. We don't stop. We don't give up. We don't fear. Why? Because God's in control. You know why? Because you're not on your own. Number four. You're not on your own. And if you have a leader, guess what? They're not on their own. They're put there on purpose by the guy who invented purpose. Like the whole concept of purpose, he invented that too. Isn't that weird? He invented the concept of time, the whole thing. It's not, you're not on your own. Isn't that great? You need to know that, not because of who candidates are, okay? And we're going to step out of politics now. We, did we do enough on it? We did? Can we move on now? Uh, whatever your future might be, you walk into that future with someone. Who is he? No matter what you lack understanding in, you go with someone who understands it, designed it, set it up. And he may explain it to you when. Starts with L, rhymes with gator. Later. He'll explain it to you later. Have you ever had anybody say, well, oh, yeah, 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 not now. Just, just give me a minute. You ever had that? Do you accept it? Like, Dwayne comes up to you, and you're like, yo, Dwayne, Dwayne, I need, I need. and Dwayne says, Hold on, just, just in a minute. I'll be right with you. Do you accept it? Yes. Dwayne, bro, I'm sorry. No social grace for you, apparently. Of course you accept it, right? Because he's, he's a guy and you're, you're trying to be polite. Why not with God? Why not buy the fact that, that, that he's still standing there with you and you'll get your answer later? And enjoy the fact that you're not alone rather than you lack the understanding. It's not clear to me. I don't get it quite yet. Great. Read a little more. Go to church a little more. Talk to your spouse a little more. Take a class. Whatever. This future fear and lack of understanding are tied to you being on your own. Watch this. Look at all the references. Look at your outline. Section number four. I gave you the answers, right? But look at all the references. 13, 15, 16, 22, 24, 25, and then there's parentheses two. Why the parentheses two? Because it says it twice in verse 25. And I want you to see them. Verse 13. I heard a holy one speaking. Right? He's not alone. There's someone else there. Verse 15. One having the appearance of a man. Verse 16, I heard a man's voice. 
Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Verse 22. But not with his power. Huh. Verse 14. But not with his own power. Two times there it says not with his own power. About secular kings. Where's the power come from? God will work through secular people. To your demise sometimes. <laughs> Why? So you learn? So you get to the next stage? To set up whatever God's going to do next? I don't know. I don't need to know. Because understanding is not the focus. Right? Point number two. What I, what I simply need to understand is, if there's power and we're not on our own, where's that power and who's with us? And it's God. But watch what's happened in verse 24. Uh, no, 25. This man shall become great and uh, under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Wait, that's not about being uh, with someone with you. That's about being alone. Yes, it's a contrast. When you're alone, what happens? You start reading your own press. Where's alone head? Bad place. Where does alone lead to? Destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, his end leads to destruction. If you're not seeking God, you're not wanting God, you're not asking God, you're not referencing God, you're not accessing God, you are on your own and that heads one direction. And God can work with you, alongside you, in spite of you, and you can end up like one of the kings. Had power, had experiences, but not by your own hand and it ended with your demise. Or it could be like Daniel, who progressively gets more. Because he's looking for God. Verse 25. It says the second time, but by no human hand. This is the one king's going to go down, but he's going to go down by no human hand. So what hand is he going to go down by? Any guesses? God's. The not alone is God. In fact, the New Testament implies that if you were to seek after God in the dark, on your hands and knees, you would need not move without bumping into him. And it's a great visual because in the dark, you can't see anything. And without moving, you bump into him. How easy is he to find? As simple as it gets. He's right there already. And yet we, th- we function through life freaking out about what's going to happen to our kids or is the job going to work out or are they going to transfer me or do they still love me or will they listen to me? Uh, who knows? And folks, I'm, I'm culprit number one when it comes to this, right? Don't ask my wife. We fear the future and we want to understand everything and we don't get either. What we get is, walk alongside me. Be with me. Because when you're with me, you can hear the worst story ever that's as scary as it gets, and you can get a little tummy ache from it, but when you wake up from your nap, you can get back to business. Get back to work. Isn't that weird? The second time it says, by no human hand, so whose hand is it? It's God's. 
You know, that'd be a great prayer for you. God, I want your hand in my life. That sound a little weird? It sounds a little weird. Okay, let me just tell you. It sounds a little weird, okay? You ever heard of Christianese? All these phrases we come up with that are Christian, but nobody else understands them? Son, have you been born again? What does that mean? That's a weird phrase. If, if you're not from there, you don't get it, do you? You pray, God, I want, the, I want your hand in my life. It might sound a little Christianese. And that's okay. It's a little weird. But you know where Christianese comes from? It comes from people write, reading passages and actually trying this stuff. Wait, God's hand was on Daniel? Yeah, well, then I want his hand on me. Well, did you know what that sounds like to Wanda? Because she's looking at you funny now. That's okay, too, by the way. Here's why. You try to walk with the Lord alongside with him together, you, you might say things a little differently, and people will look at you differently. But now you have their attention. They're going to be watching you, and they're going to be looking at and, and listening to you. And if you stick with God, and there is a progression like Daniel's where you get more and more detail, and maybe even more understanding as it goes along, God will work in your life. And now they're not just watching you or listening to you, now they're witnessing you. And you become a witness. Where God's doing things, and, and maybe you use a little bit different language. But they say, there's something different going on there. He's not worried about who's in charge. He's not worried about who gets voted in. He's not worried about what he drives. He's not worried about uh, who's marrying who. He's not worried about how many kids they have or whether they had kids or if they're on their third marriage or not. Why is he not worried about all those things? He's not worried about who's out of town. What is he worried about? What does he fear? Right? If we're not to fear the future, well, I mean, we need not fear anything but what? What's that phrase? Fear itself? What how's that phrase go? We have nothing to fear, but and you know that phrase is wrong? I'm here to teach you. We fear the Lord. We don't fear the future, but we don't fear fear. We fear the Lord. What's that mean? We pay attention to the guy who's in charge, does understand it, is control of it, knows it, and gives us just enough to where we desire to walk with him. That's what we got to do. And now we can kind of vote for whatever we want. We can have boys or girls, raise them, well, we, we, we pursue this degree or that degree or not even go to school at all. Go into a trade, right? Actually do something with work where you sweat. I mean, that, that'd be good too. And not worry about any of it. Amen? Let's have our prayer be that his hand is on us that we might live in the now. Let's pray with me. Lord, we thank you that 
that there is a future, that you know it, you understand it. But Lord, help us to set it aside like the vision. Help us to focus on what is now, what you have given us, and that we might do the most with what we have. And we love, Lord, we thank you for how short this sentence is that comments on Daniel's response. He woke from feeling uncomfortable and just went back to work. And the implication is that that was good. Help us to get back to work and to do what's good. Fear no man. Fear no woman. And enjoy relationship with you. Pray God your hand would be on us. If you never made, said that prayer, you said something like that, if you never become a Christian, ask Christ in your life accepted his work on the cross where he had no fear of the future, knew exactly what was happening, but went to that sacrifice anyways because he knew what his focus was. Then you could ask him into your life today. And it might be that you you say the prayer that way. God, I want your hand in my life from this day forward. You pray that. And if that's you, we'd love to help you as a church. That's why we're here. Come up and see me after service. Come talk to me. Let me know. Let us let us help you. Father, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray you would use it, Lord, to help us be a church that has your hand on it constantly. We pray, Lord, uh, for those who guests are visiting, that they feel no obligation to give, but recognize what we do as a family. And we pray, Lord, for the camp this week. And then also, Lord, Maybe, most importantly, we pray for the McGrogans and for Jean and her parent who's in hospice. Pray that you would be with them and their family. We pray that you would give them comfort and peace and lack of pain. And then, Lord, for their journey uh, back to be with us again, pray that you would give them safety. But we pray you be with their family. We pray all of this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.